Hi, and welcome to the bonus Halloween episode of Queer Horror Cult. Today we're going to be discussing the 2018 Halloween movie. So before we get into it, I feel it's important to advise any listeners that this episode is going to be very spoiler heavy, because we're really going to get into it. We're going to deconstruct this movie, and if you haven't seen it yet, it's probably worth watching the movie before listening to this podcast. And along with that, our in-depth look at the new Halloween is going to be informed by discussions of trauma, and uh, there are a couple of mentions of assault, so this is just to serve as a content warning to anyone listening. Make an informed choice when you listen to this. All right, thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. As a matter of fact, it was. forgetting our own name and oh lordy oh yeah maybe we would uh do well if we did change our name to silver shamrock yeah yeah maybe you know people would be like oh man what a great movie about murder masks where can i find my own and then they'll look it up and they'll find us <laughs> totally yeah and they'll be like oh are these like some irish uh, horror podcasters or something they'll be severely disappointed yeah well i mean we could still sell the murder masks just send them plastic pegs <laughs> anything's a murder mask if you're inventive enough <laughs> if you try hard enough <laughs> oh Ooh. lordy so it's halloween yes and, uh, the bonus episode the bonus episode on halloween about the movies particularly the new movie yeah david gordon green's halloween yes before we get to that i suppose i have to ask you uh do you have any big halloween plans oh good question um apparently not no. no just you know hanging out hand out candy to kiddos yeah that sounds about right yeah. you seeing us will probably be together for halloween that sounds <laughs> about, about right the same. yeah just keep it chill this year mm-hmm. yeah, we love halloween what are you dressing up as we'll figure it out day of halloween what are you guys doing you don't any parties nah. in all of us yes <laughs> okay all the time i am halloween and halloween is me i'm gonna make some halloween food totally yeah um, and, and we'll we'll figure we talked out. about maybe doing like so, like you know deadite makeup or something to yeah. like scare the kids but that's like, a good keep idea it doable i mean need to do uh more practice on makeup anyway mm-hmm. so okay okay yeah i guess we're boring old fucks on halloween so how about we just dive right into it sounds good to me 
a week and a half ago, we went and saw the new Halloween. Yeah, we saw it, we saw it the day it came out. We went to that first like 11 a.m. screening. Yeah, first one we could. Yep, and then we loved it, and we were talking it up to everybody, and one of our friends asked if we wanted to go catch it with them. So we went back and saw it a second time, less than a week later, and loved it even more, because, you know, you noticed that much more that upon that oh, second viewing. yeah, watching it again. Okay, I'm going to throw in a sidebar here, and I will put an extra note at the beginning of the episode, so oh, you've heard this already. This is going to be a very spoiler-heavy episode. Yes. We are assuming that if you're listening to this one, you've already seen the 2018 Halloween movie. If you haven't, you probably should before you listen, because we're just going to get right and, into it. And you should anyway, because it's fucking oh, it's, incredible. It's fantastic. Yes. Like, that's why this is a bonus episode, because we didn't want to just start right off the bat with stuff that a large number of people wouldn't even want to listen to, because we tell them what happens. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this is going to be spoiler-heavy. Don't listen to this yet but come on back if you haven't seen it yes. watch halloween and then come on yeah, back love for you to dissect it with us we're uh we're gonna we're gonna rearrange its guts <laughs> that's one way of putting it okay okay so uh yeah we saw it two times it was really good what did you enjoy like just like on a first off yeah uh, like, like what really did you respond to when you first well coming uh into into it as somebody who is both you know, in school to be a future psychologist in the near future, and also who has experienced some traumatic shit in their life. The thing that struck me the most and like really stuck out to me was evolution of Laurie's character. And the, like, you know, 40 years had gone by, we're supposed to assume going into it that pretend all the other movies didn't happen. This is like a direct sequel, right? So 40 years have passed, you're not sure where she's going to be with everything. And just because we, we we did watch the first Halloween, we got a chance to see it in theaters one week before the new one came out. Yeah, for the uh, 40th anniversary re-release. Yeah, they had it in some theaters, so we, we got to go check that out. And so, um, like, one of the things, like, we, or at least I know I did, like, we talked a little bit about it. Like, I, I like Laurie's character in the first one, but when she confronts Michael, she's very, like... A lot of the cliches and tropes just kind of yeah. come up, like, stab him once, throw the knife down, and run out of the room. And just be really sad about it, and, like... And you described her as a shrinking violet. And I oh, thought, that phrase, shrinking violet, yeah. yeah, or shrinking violet, yeah. But does it come from, like, is it, like, in... I've heard it in terms of literary. I thought I was is that, like, an English um, literary kind of one? Because, you know, you get those women that, uh, the representations of them is that they always need, like, a man to come in and save them. They need to, um... Right, and you have Loomis, right? So Yeah, yeah, um, which, you know, I don't, I'm not gonna go as far as to criticize Halloween of perpetuating that, mm -hmm. but at the same time, there are shades of that in the reactions, which, you know, understandable. You're very upset in that yeah, situation. for sure. But she's not the strong character that she grows into, and it's so cool to see that Yes, exactly, exactly. And to see how much her character is informed by the trauma that she survived. Yeah. And just how much it has, like, I don't know, it really makes her character in the first movie that much richer to me. Because, yeah. you know, like I said, I like her. She's She's clever. She's, like, she's a good kid. Right? Like, she's she's likable. But yeah, when, when it kind of doesn't do much in the face of the of the fear and of, of Michael Myers there, she's kind of, like, luckily stabbing him and then, oh, no, he's coming back. Like, it, it's kind of, there's not really that, like, I guess, efficacy there. I mean, her yeah, she does fight back, but yes. she doesn't have that experience. Yeah, and yet. it's, in, it's yeah. in a very minimal, it's like, oh, my God, and I, I just happened to stab him in the neck. And then he comes, like, you know what I mean? So, but then seeing how much it's affect her, affected her still 40 years later and how much she's living with it, I really... It gives me deeper understanding into that 
you know, 40 years ago character where she she's not she doesn't have a lot of confidence i don't think like if you notice she when they her friends are like oh why aren't, why aren't you going to the dance and she says oh you know boys don't like me because they, they say i'm too smart and when her friend does say that she managed to like get her a date she's, oh you know, please don't please call him back tell it like she, she doesn't have a lot of self-confidence yet right. and you get the sense like with being with the kids and everything she her world is very small and mm -hmm. it's very tightly knit and to have the boogeyman come in one night and tear that apart and just absolutely, you know, rupture everything she knows. I have, I can only imagine that would profoundly affect her sense of yeah. self and absolutely set her life on a very different path than the one that you'd maybe expect her, you know, going to college yeah. soon and things like that. And then also, I guess, as far as her reaction in the moment, you always hear about the fight or flight response. But oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. but then... You know, she's kind of doing neither, but there's also like a freeze response. Yeah. And you hear that from so many people, you know, I, they see, see something or they're experiencing something. They say, I just froze and I yeah. couldn't. Yeah. It's not necessarily unrealistic as infuriating yeah. as it can be to watch mm -hmm. when that happens over and over again in movies. Yeah. If you talk to survivors of assault, violence, things like you, you will hear that. Yeah. Anyone who's volunteered at like a sexual assault center or anything like they, they've all heard that, you know, even even from people who have been trained in martial arts and stuff, I'll say, when it happened to me, I froze. And that's your body and your brain and stuff just trying to protect you and preserve you in the moment, right? So even though you're not fighting back or running away, it, the, the hope is that if I just let this happen, I will survive and I will come out of it. Yeah. So, so with that in mind, it's like, okay, she did the best, you know, she did the best she could, right? Yeah. And I think seeing her 40 years later doing the best that she could and you know she's obviously a flawed person like insofar as she has a really strained relationship with her daughter her daughter was taken away from her uh they they you know she she's paranoid she's hyper vigilant she all these things but it's even though she's she's not yeah she, even though she's quote unquote flawed because of the, this it's portrayed very empathetically and you can tell she's doing the best that she can in her circumstances and i just yeah i thought that was really great because yeah. you, you don't get to see that amount of depth with characters and especially with women. Yeah. A lot of the times it's kind of either good or we're, bad. We're definitely starting to, yes. but it's uh, Yeah, but to see not only... This takes up that trend for yeah, sure. Yeah, so to see not only, you know, this... And then, like, older woman too, like, you know, she's old enough to be, like, our parents or something, right? Yeah. So, like, this idea, you know, woman over 55 kind of thing. To see her not just reduced to some, like, crone kind of, like, mm -hmm. archetype. She's an actually, like, dynamic multifaceted human being yeah. and not only that but her trauma is at front and center and you're saying like yeah she's not dealing with this maybe in a, the most adaptive way like her yeah. daughter says she needs therapy she needs all this but she's doing the best that she can and you really get the sense that is kind of what is being how she's being presented yeah. and so I yeah that was for me just very it was nice to see like it was, yeah. it was a breath of fresh air it that, that's one thing i appreciate a lot about just disregarding the sequels or just mm -hmm. latching this on right after like we've seen the first one then we are coming back in 40 years later mm -hmm. is um not seeing that middle bit there's like this rich vein of story there that is inferred yes and we have to kind of piece together ourselves to the clues we get but it also creates this greater sense of contrast between mm -hmm. the beginning and the end like you really see that dynamic because that is a fairly strong trait between a, a lot of uh, movie series is the person is 
less confident and uh, unsure of themselves, maybe easier to scare in the first one. Like a great example is the Terminator movies. You've got Linda Hamilton in the first one. She's a waitress who suddenly is thrown in this situation and she doesn't know how to react. And then the second one, she's just completely ripped. Yeah, uh, right. Queer icon kind of thing <laughs> yes. in her tank tops with the gun show and many... Yeah, one of the reasons that and in the 90s, arsenal. women started taking up, like, it was her, um, I think Aliens, and um, Thelma and Louise, I think, were the three big movies that, like, okay. when I, I learned in one of my classes in my undergrad that after that came out, like, female gun ownership, like, skyrocketed. Oh, All these women were like, holy shit, like, I can, like, defend myself and, like, be, you know, be badass like hell yeah like yeah. so they go from it's such a contrast it's, it goes from like totally incapable to and i wouldn't i wouldn't go quite as far as incapable Fair in enough. that she does handle the situations pretty well it's mm-hmm. just that like you said i think it was interesting with the freeze response in that you know she something happens and she kind of gets backed into a corner and she does the best she can but mm-hmm. then there's this moment of you've escaped the immediate situation, but the danger's not gone, Mm -hmm. where there is that uncertainty. And like she sends the kids out to get the cops, she hides in the closet, stabs them in the eye with the coat hanger. And, um, but then, uh, her reaction after that is to just like take a breath and regroup while he sits up right behind her. Mm -hmm. Uh, great fucking scene, but (laughs) it is one of those things that it's very different from the Laurie Strode of today. Yes. And from the Sarah Connor of the, of the 90s, of the, yeah. Of this, yeah, the, the second one. Yes. Oh, my, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with that with that transformation from sort of, like, one to the other, like, one to the other, it, the, one of the things I liked about Laurie was that, or the, you know, the Laurie of the now, is that, you know, we, we always hear about, like, you know, we want more strong female characters, and strong female characters are awesome, but female characters that are, that are allowed to be have multiple dimensions and be both strong but also show vulnerability right is like next level like that's peak for me because you know like a lot of the times you need to be strong in the face of vulnerability and responding to it but it also takes strength to be able to acknowledge and like show or appreciate your own vulnerability Right. So, right, right. yeah, so strong kick-ass women are great and girls too of course because you see that with a lot of you see, see some pretty kick-ass girls. Yeah. Kick-ass, for one, is an example. But um, they seem invulnerable, and which makes it that much less realistic. Because it's, nice, it's a nice fantasy where you suspend disbelief and everything, and you have, like, a, a fun time watching. But as far, in terms of, like, seeing a more multifaceted representation of girls or women on screen, it's that extra bit of vulnerability in addition to strength that shows sort of both sides of that, that for me really takes the cake. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, and um, actually it's interesting, uh, with the Sarah Connor one, I guess that was an eight-year gap between sequels, Mm -hmm. and there is a complete 180, so that example probably is a pretty good precedence for what we're talking about with Halloween Mm -hmm. here, but it's fairly few and far between where you get that turn, and there's so much rich story that is inferred. Yeah. Yeah. Or even one example that comes to mind, it's it's been a while since I've seen the first one compared to Dream Warriors, but with Nightmare on Elm Street when you have Nancy come back. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't actually like I said, it's been a few it's been a while since I've yeah. seen it, so I don't remember how like 
she's very self-assured like she knows what she's dealing with and she, yeah when she comes back i mean she's a she's a doctor right yeah like, she's a or a phd student or yeah some, something she, she's, she's working in the ward with the kids yeah and, and she uh, and she's uh, she's the one who's giving running them this, their group yeah <laughs> and giving them the strength and the courage to be able to fight the nightmare yeah. and the monster but i i can't like i can't remember if that's much of a change compared to how she was in the first movie well she's a high schooler in the first one yeah. and uh so obviously she was a good example of a final girl who takes charge and just oh, like okay. like yeah. she rig- she gets the survivalist books and rigs all right. those traps and I, okay stuff. I'm, I'm remembering this now so that is there you almost see like the beginnings of that like at the start she seems like uh your normal um your average girl High next school. door. Yeah, 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 yeah. And totally. then um, when uh, push comes to shove, she's just like, all right, I'm going to learn how to make all these traps Let's and this, this sledgehammer mm-hmm. rig. So, okay. Yeah, because I, th- I thought I remembered her being a bit more, like, effective yeah. under pressure. But that, So that's, you still see more of that go on. I guess it's sort of more obvious expected trajectory in that she becomes yeah, even yeah. more confident, even more effective and able to kind of take that mentor role yeah. with the kids. But in the 40-year gap between the first Halloween and the latest one, we have seen this huge change in Laurie's character. And as you pointed out, a lot of it's shaped by trauma and how it's affected her. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that when we watched it, you uh, came away from the movie and, and really sort of had a strong take. Like, really, you mm-hmm. had a lot to say about it. Would yes. you mind going into some of that? Yeah, for sure. I'd love to. Like I said, as both a um, you know person who training in psychology and also has has first-hand experience with with some level of trauma Woo. this movie trill, thrills me chills me and fulfills me <laughs> um that, because yeah that was that, that is a really central theme to to me in the movie that i got out of it as sort of it was informing the entire the entire movie but also the, the entire trajectory of laurie's character and lots of i guess comments on it in different ways like in the beginning, when we have the podcaster characters introduced, um, when they and they go and they try to get an interview with Laurie Strode after going and checking up the monster and checking out the the grave site and yeah. everything. Can I just point out that it was so great that they were podcasters? Yeah, I was I was going to say I really feel like that was a deliberate choice, and that that's was, all I'm well, going yeah. to say about that. That's the only comment <laughs> I have was, to make. I, I, I have a lot of comments about that. That I think. I think it's fantastic, and it makes uh, what happens to them much more entertaining. <laughs> yeah, because like the first time going through, it was kind of like, oh wow, that's wow, and the second time, it's like they're fucking assholes. Yeah, they're fucking assholes. And I love the scene in the graveyard when they just get really into these explicit descriptions of the way of that death. Michael killed Judith, and it's like you know, it's just making pornography out of yes. this very real trauma. Yeah. And then we cut to the woman who's touring them through and she just rolls her eyes. And, and I think it, it's it's really interesting that the, the two podcasters are white and the woman showing them is black. Because yeah, she's like, this is just some more white people shit. Totally, right? And it really is because like so many communities of color are affected profoundly by this violence in a way that a white lot of people us... can white, detach. Yeah, yeah I, the, we, we can, like, I, I feel like, yeah, we can detach a lot easier than, say you know, with the missing and murdered indigenous women in Canada. Like if, you know, same, same kind of idea, like there's just this systemic violence and it's gone so long without justice or investigation that like, you know, as someone who's not from that community, 
I can, yeah, like you said, detach from the horrors of this a lot more easily than someone who's maybe directly involved and under the threat of it, right? Uh, I will so, just quickly interject that, um, since this is early on, we are both white. Yes. We are white people talking about race, and if we're fucking it up, well, that sounds about white. It's <laughs> one of those things where I neither of us feels like we are experts mm -hmm. on what it's like to be racialized, given that we are both white people yes. living in Western society. Mm -hmm. um, that said, it doesn't mean that it's not worth talking about and, and uh, examining, especially given that, hey, maybe... Maybe us white people could do some of the work rather than yes. leaving it to people of color to yeah, do. Yeah, and I, I try to anytime I do do sort of analysis on that, I really try to have it informed by the perspectives of people who are directly dealing with that and doing that important work and amplifying their voices as opposed to making, you know, smart insights on my own. It's, you know, I'm, I'm far more interested in hearing from the standpoints of people who are living that everyday mm -hmm. reality. Just figured it's early enough that yeah. people probably don't know who the hell we are. Put in a are. disclaimer. I think that's and, a good idea. And yeah. if we're fucking up, please call call us Absolutely. out, call us in. Like we we want to be good allies, and we like mm -hmm. we, we recognize that that just is like a... we expect any of you straight people out there listening to this to be good allies. We want to <laughs> yes. be good allies, and we recognize we that being an ally is it is something that you do. It's not something that you are. It involves action. So oh shit. Oh yeah. It's bringing some realness. Yes. So, okay. but yes, back back to the podcasters, podcasters. and their um. Yeah, their masturbation fantasy of uh, death and pain of young women. Actually, it's funny, <laughs> just since we are on that scene, mm -hmm. uh, one thing I do find interesting is that uh, the only nudity and sexualization of someone mm -hmm. during a death scene is in the flashback, That's which was true. just footage lifted from the earlier one. Right. And, you know, by a lot of those movie standards, it's fairly tame mm -hmm. and uh, somewhat innocuous. It doesn't... It's not sexualized violence to the, near yeah. the extent a lot of movies especially like some of those uh early 70s nasty flicks yeah or any of that sort of like later torture porn kind yeah of more recent so stuff. like not to say that how dare they that was so egregious then mm -hmm. and High horse, but there's, there's still yeah but it's just interesting to see the the difference there yeah the difference in, and yeah because like we talked about the gaze a little bit like the, yeah. it's still inviting you to look at her while yeah. like it like we said it's, it's not sexualizing her violence at least i don't or the violence she experiences i don't get that vibe from it no but it's it's yeah we're not supposed to be enjoying no, it no no definitely not but maybe the but podcasters still that, are but... <laughs> but then also with when you're seeing it through the mask and everything there's still this sense there's this voyeuristic element to there's it voyeurism there's some yeah. nudity and there's yes. just like and when you kind of find voyeurism and nudity you're gonna have a little bit of that it kind of it, it has that that sort of thing working in the background yes yeah. even if it's not supposed to be at the foreground you're still just like oh a naked teenager Ooh. oh i mean i'm sure all this stuff is by design just i'm saying not inherently in a gross sure. like oh man i can't wait to wait to nut to this movie later. <laughs> let's hope not yeah. Um, but yes back to the podcasters <laughs> yeah yeah so when they go for the interview and you know very smartly, Lori only lets them in with the promise of three thousand dollars. Oh, that was that I imagine, was a wonderful. Moment. Yes, I imagine she's dealt with a lot of that shit, so she knows you know picks and chooses her battles as they, as they will benefit her. But you know, uh, one of the things that made us like not that we especially like the char characters, I don't think, but in the second viewing, you like really actively dislike them was just how they you know the first like they're like let's talk about when you know your first marriage collapsing and your daughter being taken away and all and. Everything, the only part of Lori that they care about is Lori in relation to Michael and Lori after the incident of the first movie. Yeah. And 
they it's always coded in her trauma yes like, and and they expect her to perform her trauma for their consumption and their entertainment yeah without honoring that she's a human and was that <laughs> like, nobler than now guys of it too where it's like we feel like there's a lot to learn mm-hmm. from your story and but they don't mean learn about you Lori. they mean learn about this this monster that they, yeah yeah and it's yeah, very telling when they're like, why don't you sit across from him yeah. and we'll record it when you tell him what you want to say, what you obviously must want to say in front of us while we record exactly, it. Because I, you see the pain on her face when, when they say that and you can tell obvi- there is obviously a lot of unresolved shit in yeah. Lori Strode's life. But Well, but, we see that later when she's waiting while the bus leaves. Exactly. Like they're, they're, and I'm sure she would have a lot to say to him if she was in that situation. But like you said, it's framed in the like... So we can record it and we can consume it and we can mass produce it and like profit from it essentially mm-hmm. in the long run. So yeah, it's, it's, it's turning someone's life altering trauma into consumable content, sound bites and stuff. Yeah. And it's just, it, it really, you know, talking about it that way, it really rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. So I, plus they're particularly gross about yeah. it and egregious about it. Like th- th- they are doing like they really are reveling in th- that trauma. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh yeah, tell tell us. Um, so when did you get your daughter back? And she goes, I didn't, but you already knew you that. Already knew like that, they're trying to that. be sneaky with it. Yeah, like it's, even it's... when they slide away from Michael Myers to talk about um, her life, it's all in terms of how her life is crumbling. Yes, because of Michael Myers. Exactly. It's all defining her in relation to Michael and to what he did to her and her friends that night mm-hmm. forty years ago. And while the podcasters uh, are clearly crouching her trauma in terms of Michael Myers, mm-hmm. um, there is a very strong link there with him being the boogeyman. Yes, and the questions, they, the, what is it, they, um, like, is the boogeyman real, Laurie? That's what you said in your police report, and it's in a sort of mocking way, because they're so obsessed with the man, but for her, it's it's not about Michael specifically, it's about... The boogeyman, this specter that's in her life, you know, even though he's been in an asylum, you know, psychiatric unit for the past 40 years, he's been a constant presence in her life, like some kind of monster that can't, you know, like that, like Michael himself, you know, can't die no matter how much you hit him. And like, and like I was saying where, um, before I, you know, how I truly believe that these events, you know, really shook up her sense of self and everything. If you read the, the description of the boogeyman as like, a metaphor for the trauma that he leaves his survivors with, then not only does it make perfect sense that you can't kill him with bullets, with, you mm-hmm. know, any, you know, going through any of the Halloween movies, every attempt they try to kill him, of course they can't just kill him because that's, you can't just, you know, cut cut trauma out of your life and that's that, you know, I'm all yeah. done with it. Like, it sticks its tentacles into every aspect yeah. of your life and, like... And that's, um... That's, sorry. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, just, like, it's, it's, I feel like I got a lot deeper into the whole, like, slasher thing than maybe was ever, like, intended, yeah. but, like, from that, from that, out of that framework, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, cause, uh, even, well, you know, that's why we put the sound clip up at the start of the episode. Mm-hmm. In the first one, when, uh, Laurie says, it was the boogeyman. This is at the point when she's finally... Out of the situation, yeah. ostensibly. She's in safety. And uh, 
everything that she's endured just sort of comes crashing down Mm -hmm. and she basically says it was the boogeyman and it really is sort of an extension of all of that yeah because her her work like you know this 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 little tiny world she had was just absolutely destroyed in this in this night it's very night in in a way that so you know you only you only ever imagine a literal monster could do that yeah and it's very telling that it's Dr. Loomis who agrees yes. that we have um, this uh, medical professional yeah. who deals with psychiatric issues. Yeah, he's, he's, who, a, he's a man of science and yeah. medicine. Like, he's about as, you know, like, objective and everything is Ooh. not esoteric as they come. <laughs> and, and he says, uh, like, he agrees with that. Yeah, he's like, I believe it was. Yeah, it absolutely was the boogeyman. So, yeah, yeah that's a really, like profound moment i guess where yeah. it, where that there's well, a, it's a of, great fucking moment yes movie. absolutely it's so strong it's it's great and then yeah to see that continuity of you know the boogeyman 40 years later so haunting her it's it's something else it's not about you know the the man the one man it's about the whole shebang of everything involved in surviving trauma and having to live with it for the rest of your life especially if you don't you know get have access to or get the care the ideal care you could get to try and help you know better work through it and work towards resolving it and having it having that specter have less of a presence in your everyday life and so seeing her having you know not obviously um pursued that route for whatever reason and seeing you know the the hyper vigilance and building a literal fortress to protect herself Mm -hmm is so like poetic as far as like you know she her she was made aware of this vulnerability this life-altering like you know exposing her in a way and she has built like hand built a literal fortress around it to protect herself since but is unable to heal within it right and is and then we find out pretty quickly that from you know attempting to have a normal life in this she's basically vicariously traumatized her daughter yeah. And has, you know, not been able to have a, you know, quote unquote normal life, two failed marriages, all these, you know, disturbed family relationships with um, like post-traumatic stress disorder and everything. A common symptom or characteristics is hypervigilance where you're constantly alert that of a possible threat, even in situations where realistically the chances of it happening are like slim to none. But it's mm-hmm. this constant heightened state of awareness at, out of fear essentially of you know whatever happening or something similar to it happening again and this need self-protection and so seeing that taken to i guess it's a logical conclusion of building this fucking massive like artillery filled fortress out in the woods was really interesting because then you know she wasn't just written off as a crazy paranoid lady or something you actually see her in it and see what she's doing and like you you have a sense of empathy because it's yeah. like well no wonder like of course this is how she's protecting herself. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, she's not just written off because of it. Like, you do see some of that in her interactions with the characters where they're like, okay, that's enough, Lori. You need to get over it. Yeah, her family definitely writes her off all the fucking yes. time. Yes, but... and, and I think that's a realistic mm-hmm. representation about how a lot of people dealing with mental illness, they find out really quickly kind of who their real friends are when things get bad. But that being said, even though they showed that realistic portrayal, they still to us as the audience portrayed her to me very empathetically 
Yeah, with, definitely. Yeah, so it, I, I would say that I felt like she was very much written off in so many ways. It's yes. just that she happened to be right. Yes, and that's that, true. That's, um, and so there's more of that unification from there. Like, right. Speaking of the, the fortress and going back to the boogeyman as trauma, mm-hmm. that's kind of a nice little encapsulation at the end when it turns out the fortress is the trap yes. to defeat the boogeyman. Yes, and that was like the ultimate sort of like poetry. It's poetry in <laughs> motion. It. it is poetry in motion because you were supposed to think that this was the final battle. You know, depend. we'll see if another movie comes out or anything. We don't know because we don't actually see him die. Yeah. And even in cases where we have seen, you know, well, could you imagine the outcry if it like literally showed his corpse? Exactly. And like you, you don't want to see him. And it's like I, you, you like, want I that bit of mystery, that, right? You know? Exactly. Like, and then I'm thinking, you know, we're watching through Friday the Thirteenth recently. Even when you literally see Jason blown to smithereens, he does not die. That was so. That is so one hell with of a Michael way to start a Friday dying in big scare quotes that I'm doing right now. Um, it's really interesting to me that the only way that we could kill him was by. Well, like you said, trapping him in this self-protective fortress, but also having to literally burn it to the ground. And for her having to, in a way, like confront this her vulnerability and take everything that she's used to protect herself for the last 40 years and send it up in flames. And because, yeah, I just thought that, like I said, was so poetic because, you know, resolving trauma, like, requires so much you know, conf- direct confrontation. Yeah. There's a whole lot of, you know, muck there that we don't want to direct to confront, but we really have to, we have to sit in the muck as someone has described it to me, which I really like and process it and, you know, honor it and give it, give it space basically and give yourself space to feel all these things that, you know, we are told be positive and get over it and all these things. And so it, it requires a lot of space, a lot of time, a lot of, you know, like, assessment of where you're at and your coping mechanisms, your how you're protecting yourself, how this and how these things that you have done to the best of your ability and with the resources you have available to you, how that has been basically like contributing to where you're at right now. So it's hard to it's hard to word that in a way that's not like victim blaming sounding because it's I guess the the idea is that this sort of like radical self-acceptance where you can simultaneously acknowledge I'm doing the best that I can, but I could also be doing better and flourishing. And, you know, what can I do within myself to be able to get to that point? So to see, you know, she's been behind this fortress for 40 years or presumably better part of 40 years and to see her willing, you know, setting it up as a trap just in case, but then actually going through with it and burning the whole thing down. I have to imagine, like, that's been her home for 40 years. She's got to feel really exposed right now. Yeah. And is going to have to, now that the boogeyman has been vanquished, Mm -hmm. and she's there with her family and she's reunited, I'd like to think that she has a happy ending that works towards resolution. Yeah, absolutely. Um, One thing I noticed in the classroom scene where we see Allison sitting in a lecture is the the teacher is giving a lecture on um, Viktor Frankl's book, the our man's search for meaning, and um, you see that like you you have to pay attention to know what he's what what they're talking about. But this um, really excellent work that informed a lot of like psycho or sorry existential psychotherapy and everything, but it's called back to later when um 
what is it, the cop is talking to the new Loomis. The new Loomis. The new Loomis about, um, you know, do you reckon, like, Laurie's just absolutely crazy? And he goes, well, you know, there's a, a lot of different ways people deal with, like, you know, tragedy, trauma, things. Mm-hmm. You know, they might shut down. They might work really hard to protect themselves. And, yeah, Frankel's work um, was essentially about that. He had his, he had his theories about... Um, people and what, you know, based on the amount of meaning they have and they make from their life affecting what they do in life. And so he had his theories and then he was actually um, taken, he was in prison during the Holocaust. And so he was able to uh, continue his work, essentially observing the people around him. And he found that those who were able to find some meaning in their life had a lot better of a time going on day to day than those who felt everything was meaningless and that which is understandable given the circumstances of course but yeah just the and it really informed this sort of this approach to psychology about you know about meaning making and the meaning we make from what happens to us and what we live plays a great role in you know where our life takes us so we see you know Lori, the meaning she made from this obviously is that she's vulnerable and that she you know needs needs to live in fear basically because what if it happened again Mm -hmm. so i thought that that was a really smart way like they clearly did their research kind of going into it and then that call back to it that call back to it after with that conversation was was it was it was a good touch cool yeah so speaking of the boogeyman in this how did you feel about Mm -hmm. michael myers in terms of like this it's very much a post slasher golden era but then post scream Right. Uh, slasher movie. Um, I don't know about you, but I really loved the way they mm-hmm. did Michael Myers uh, in this. It really felt like a return to form. Mm-hmm. And um, But still being able to do something new with it. Exactly. Exciting. Exactly. Yeah. No, he was very menacing yes. while still feeling like the Michael Myers of John Carpenter's original. Yeah, well, but while still having those signs of age with the gray mm-hmm. hair and the, you know, the... Wind. It's so great that they got Nick Castle back. Like, yeah. That was, that was that's, genius. That's wicked. I'm so glad that worked out. I feel out. like the easier thing would have been to just recast. Totally. Like, it, I mean, in a Hollywood terms. Yes. So the fact that they didn't was fantastic. Yeah, yeah ex- absolutely. Um, no, I like that you, because you, you see the signs of age and you have that sense that you're like, oh, he is a man. Like, he, he is actually human, believe it or not. Despite what Dr. Loomis uh, yes, says. Yes, but... That there's He's still like the shell yes. of a human, yeah. But the you know, boogeyman the is still inside there, human, yeah. And even though he hasn't said a word for forty years and all this stuff, he still yeah. got it. But like, like that scene when uh, he pulls into the gas station and the pockets mm-hmm. there, and you just see this old dude, yeah, in the cargo pass. He gets out and just walks, yeah. away. It's just like that's just some dude to yeah. everyone else in the yeah. gas station. That is just some dude, but absolutely, you get that chill of because uh, we did know that really well, yeah. And I think that's that's a really interesting kind of seeing that, you know, the 40 years later and it's still the same person because I remember, I can't, I can't remember where I, you know, first saw this point made, if it was like a documentary, if it was a reading. But anyway, it was talking about how um, in like early horror type stuff, like Nosferatu and these kind of things, the monster is visually monstrous. Yes. And that's the scary aspect is that you have this like horrific they looking... They got Max Shrek with the nose and the Yeah, the like they, they, they look scary. The and then... shadow, his shadow is terrifying totally, going up right? the wall of the stairs. And that's the scary part whereas then you have later on and you get into like, you know, once we see these, um, you know, Ted Bundy type figures emerging in the public conscience and all of a sudden you have Norman Bateman and these people who they look normal but their monstrosity is inside. Yep. And that's the, the scary part is that they 
unlike the monsters of yesteryear, these guys, they don't, they aren't visually identifiable as monsters. If anything, they're charming, they're attractive yeah. They're And that's the scary part is it went from being visual and outside to the fact that they can go under the radar. Yeah. And that's and so with, with that in mind, it, it's pretty much what you described. You know, he's just he's just an old man. But but that's what right? I love like, about Mike Myers in yes. this one is he's both of those things. Yeah, absolutely. As soon as he dons the mask and right. just the menace we get of him, like yes. he may look like just an old man. There's just this aura to him, you know, to get a little hippy dippy with it. Right. There's this like he exudes the monstrous. Well, it's like, like when it's... He, they pull out the mask and everyone around, even the dog starts barking. Yeah, everyone, everyone just loses like, it. Like there, there's something of, and then he's like, yeah. "You can feel it. I know you can." So the, yeah. the mask. Oh my god, what a great fucking yes. start! <laughs> oh my god, yeah. And so like the mask itself is like. That's that is powerful that physical yes. manifestation, and when you combine them, like yeah, all we're fucked. <laughs> like, no, that was uh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, one sequence in particular, uh, actually, one of my friends, uh, shout out to you, Chris. You're great. Yes, um, we love Chris. We were talking about stuff we liked about it, and it was brought up the scene with the trick or treating. The, the yeah, Michael Myers going door to door, killing people amidst the trick or treaters. It's like spree. he's trick or treating for death kind of yeah. thing. And <laughs> that was just a great moment that I don't think it quite had clicked the the contrast between the trick or treaters looking door to door for candy and him killing. It didn't quite click as concretely until right. uh, Chris pointed it out. But it's just, you know, thinking about that on the second viewing, it was great. And in particular, one thing I absolutely loved about that was that scene was uh, like a one take deal mm-hmm. it was the camera just moved but it didn't feel like it it wasn't no. obnoxious like it didn't draw attention to itself it yeah. wasn't it, like, it when wasn't I point, showing off we'd seen it twice yes. and i pointed out to you and you're like wait was it yeah yeah because it, it was like, it was just it was seamless it was like it was flawlessly yeah, yeah. because we, we've we've seen some other stuff recently that has that sort of one take thing and it becomes intrusive at a point yeah because it's, it's really it's, cool and then after a while you realize it's like you're you're the, you're impressed that they're pulling yeah. it off and that they have. But this scene would have been better served by a cut here. Yes, like like when we were watching Haunting of Hill House recently, there was there was one that, that episode, yeah, 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 that were all the long takes and like it was like I I you know kudos to them for pulling that off. It's so impressive. But at a certain point, yeah, it, there there were camera movements where I'm like that should have been a cut. That just looks weird and it's just it just feels it, it really drew attention to itself in yes. a way that almost kind of halted. Cinematography the isn't mood. supposed to do that. The point of it is that it's you don't notice the yeah. things like that. Or if you're gonna notice it, you. Need Need to lean into that. Yeah, like it Gaspar, has to be for a reason. Gaspar Noe's long takes. You yes. know they're long takes. The camera work is right. fantastic. His, I, yeah. I adore. Part of the reason you go to, to see look. that yeah. is to see what the fuck's he gonna do this time. Yeah, like. it's like the, <laughs> if you're gonna notice camera work, it's gonna be stuff like an irreversible. Or yes. it's like, hey, the camera's gonna go upside down up yeah, the wall and then fly the, through this yeah, thing. Totally. Um, but no, this one in uh, Halloween, it was just that is easily one of my favorite horror sequences mm-hmm. in recent years, just because it was so well done and it just captured the menace that is michael myers yes. unleashed on halloween night yeah with all the kids around and all the you know regular festivities it and there's were... this horror happening behind yeah. these doors and they're just blissfully unaware. In sight. Yes, yes exactly it reminded me actually of the beginning to halloween too like uh from the, the direct the direct sequel before they get to the hospital mm-hmm. um it starts with uh, Mike Myers sort of like going into random house, killing someone in there. There's pandemonium on the streets though, because they eventually because it's picks up from when Halloween like one the ends. first one ends, like right there. Right, yeah. so Loomis is still there, running around trying mm-hmm. to save the day. But that beginning bit before they get to the hospital, like that, that's kind of the vibes I was getting in this sequence, and mm-hmm. I, I just thought Luxury it was really great. Cool. But as far as modern slashers go, mm-hmm. uh, this film also did 
uh, something I really appreciated where while they did include references to previous films, both in this genre and just like horror in general, mm-hmm. it wasn't the kind of meta winking at the camera yes. that I find kind of obnoxious these days. Like no when kidding. Scream did it, that was great. Well, yeah, it was, it was the first Scream. one, right? And that was kind of the, that was what they were doing. It was, it was new. It was inventive. It was yeah. funny. It was And there's ways smart, you can like, do it well. Like yes. I think Cabin in the Woods was great fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a much more recent version of the like, let's nod and wink at the camera yeah. for every little beat but that sort of uh smug irony has become absolutely a yeah. little too cliche exactly at this point. So like at this point having that was fantastic mm-hmm. i feel like at this point unless it's literally in a deadpool movie because yeah. that's just, just that's just the, the whole thing they're doing like it's it's just like seriously well, <laughs> I, I really feel like it's Lack of commitment is yeah. so bad for so many things. It's like you really got to lean into you do, it which and, and embrace and it. Absolutely, do. Yeah. Um, but with these callbacks, I know that there mm-hmm. were a few scenes we both talked about where it was just a great flip yes. or inversion on the original Halloween. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like the first one we noticed was the scene where um, Allison, the granddaughter, is in class at school, and when she looks out the window and sees Lori standing there in much the same way we see in the first movie, Laurie looks out the window from class and Michael's standing there and she doesn't yeah. know who he is yet. Yeah, and Allison's but in the same menacing... positioning as yeah. Laurie, like same like back corner, corner the seat room. by the window. Yeah. And if I might be misremembering, but I'm pretty sure the credit said that it, that it was PJ Soul's from the first one, played the teacher in right. this one. Yeah, doing the lecture on um, So that was, that was pretty cool. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they really kind of just like mixed, really mashed it up. Yeah. Uh, later in the movie, there's another sequence that's... Uh, plays with the reversal really well. To begin with, we've got Laurie stalking through the house trying to find Michael. Whereas in the first movie, she was trying to hide from Michael mm-hmm. while he was stalking her. Now, in the first movie, we were with her. Like, yes. we didn't see his stalking, so we're still with her. But she's going closet to closet trying to find which one Michael might be hiding in. Whereas in the first one, she was the one hiding in closets. Um, and eventually, much like in typical slasher fat, pat, uh, fashion, she pulls a closet door open and finds a dead body, which, you know, the, oh no, a dead body is just like classic. Oh yeah. You know, mwah, delicious. <laughs> um, but then uh, Michael jumps out at her from a place that you don't expect kind of thing. Um, that one still made me jump a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I he jumps out times. at her <laughs> and throws her off the balcony. Yes. Um and then we get that shot where he's staring down and she's lying in the grass. It, there's a noise in the house, gets his attention. He looks back and she's gone. And it's that mirroring of the, uh, like this one was a pretty pretty uh, obvious one, I think, that mm-hmm. if you've seen the first Halloween, that is a very intentional callback. But what I loved about it is how it kicks off the next sequence where it's now Michael wandering through the house, unsure of where his potential killer is. Yeah. Like, he wants to kill Laurie, but the thing is, it's not as clear-cut. It's not the babysitter murders anymore. No, it's, um, they're both, they're, it's not a, as clear-cut of a predator-prey dynamic anymore. Yeah. It's it like, really it's predator-predator. It. Yeah. And to an extent, he's portrayed as the prey, like you said, where Laurie was, mm-hmm. wander- was you know, trying not to get attacked yeah. and looking over her shoulder everywhere. No, Michael yeah. is. And then a, a wonderful uh, moment of that is um, when uh, Katie, is that 
the daughter? Karen. Karen, thank you. No worries. There's a wonderful moment of that is when Karen is in the basement pointing the gun up the stairs and she starts just breaking down. She's like, Mom, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't do it. And the second he pops out, she's like, gotcha, and shoots him in the neck. That was beautiful. That was a beautiful moment. It's a I... nice little flip on that thing yeah. you see in those movies where someone's like, I can't bring myself to I violence can't, and please. all that. Somebody come save me. And it's one of those things that it'd be understandable in the situation freezing up, but she really hams it in the way that these movies do. And so when it turns out she was it was a ruse, that was just great. And he falls for yeah, it. The slashers a, never fall no, for it. No, exactly. Him. And so it was so smart in yeah. that reversal, but also in the fact that yeah, like you said, he's like, sweet, I'm gonna go get yeah, two more victims. He's into it. Um but then after she shoots him and uh he collapses, we get a great moment where uh he's in the foreground and the camera reveals lori coming out of the darkness in the background and it's just like that one when she's up against the door frame and you slowly see that pale mask coming out of the darkness in the Mm -hmm. first one they just nailed it perfectly with that flip but like you said they weren't like winking at us while saying hey look what we did here it's just they just did it and if you if you pick up on it cool but if yeah. you don't it's still a great fucking even movie even if whoever came up with those ideas was just sitting there the whole time like loving how fucking clever they were like yeah. they're just blowing themselves over being so clever they did it so well that it's like good for you they didn't write that self blowing yeah. into the movie and the portrayal it was yeah. just like well it, like yeah it, it was it was great yeah there's none of that wink yeah exactly yeah there's no did you see what we did there did you yeah. see that did you see that like no they just did it which but, was awesome yeah and then uh, a great thing too uh with the whole end sequence is uh, watching the movie a second time, there's so many things that were just like the movie is so highly constructed that there's all these little things that look like they could be plot holes or if not plot holes, like why did that? Like, like why that did was that kind happen of a dumb the way action. it happened? Um, like for instance, they're in the basement of the house and Michael doesn't know there's a basement, let alone they're in there. Like it's so or well hidden. passage to get in um, or anything. And so what does she do? She shoots through the floor in hopes of maybe hitting him. And it totally gives them away. Like, Michael knows to rip the counter out and go down there later. And it's one of those things that the first time through, when you first see that moment, it's almost like... I know that caught me off. I was like, well, that was... Now he knows where you are. Yeah, it's like, that wasn't the greatest self But you watched in the second one, it's like, that was clear... Like, as soon as that happened, you just like, oh, shit, I know what she's doing. Like, she's he doesn't game. know the basement's there, so she has to make him aware. And she has to draw him to yeah. it. Yeah, and so, yeah. like, you know, her not shooting the closets when she's pretty sure Michael Myers is in there, like, not doing the shoot first X questions later when that seems kind of like what she might do given how her character's been built up. Um, no, it's, she's much more uh, meticulous than that mm-hmm. and it's like okay I, tactical. she knows just like you said the boogeyman bullets aren't gonna kill him nope. she needs to burn it to the ground so yeah. she just can't expect to shoot him in the closet and call it a day mm-hmm. um, and so everything about the setup just works so fantastically well and uh, so my hats are off to the filmmakers on this one absolutely to everybody involved they did and like the best job I could have possibly imagined yeah. or hoped for. Yeah. And while we're talking about things we love about Halloween, may as well mention one of my favorite aspects of it was the nice queer coding going on in this movie. Oh yeah, the little, um, little, little kind of winks there. I need to watch it again like a good dozen times to pick up on everything. <laughs> but there is one aspect in particular that I thought was really good where... Um, we get the reversal of the Halloween costume. They're going as Bonnie and Clyde with a twist. Yeah, the granddaughter and the and her and her boyfriend, her yeah. asshole boyfriend, <laughs> her asshole boyfriend. Yeah. Um. Who I'm very upset we didn't see 
get it in this yeah, movie. Because like, we, we see his, we, we're watching the movie and we, I was like, he shows up on screen and I'm like, why do I hate his douche face already? Turns out because he's the asshole boyfriend in the Purge, Purge. TV series. That, so is, is he like going to be typecast as the asshole I, boyfriend? I, was gonna, I mean, he's killing it. He is. And I was going to say, he played, he played two asshole boyfriends very differently, so he yeah. at least brought some variety to Oh, yeah, no, portrayal. no, he did a fine job. I yes. just hated the fucking character. Exactly, but that's um, what makes it effective, right? Yeah. So hopefully he doesn't get typecast as, a, as a, just asshole boyfriends. Or if clearly... he does, I want to see him get eat it more than just, like, like <laughs> yeah. this was not but enough. But clearly he's a good actor, so, um, you know, we're rooting for you, buddy. But, yeah, so they're uh, <laughs> dressed up as Bonnie and Clyde with a twist, whereas he's going in, a, like what we see is a typical kind of drag with the dress and the heels. At one point, he has to pull the heels off to go run after uh, Allison. Yeah. Um, whereas she's uh, wear- dressed as uh, Clyde. She's got the suspenders, the Oxfords, the slacks. Yeah, the practical and, shoes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that hat, the white button-up kind of thing with the match. Like, mm-hmm. she is just... That is such a queer look. She, as that, she's, that and she's performing that such, sort of that, that style yeah. of masculinity very well. That like, is a power look, and yes, she is killing she's it. She's rocking it. And so, um, while we get it, that nice uh, queer flip on things, mm-hmm. um, it does also mean that, in a sense, we get a final girl who is eschewing a lot of those typical feminine trappings you get. Like that's yes. happening all over the board in this movie, with Laurie being so strong mm-hmm. and being. You know, she's vulnerable. Yeah, she's strong, vulnerable. She's not your uh, waifish teen who goes to Bible study instead of smoking weed and having sex. Mm -hmm. Um, But with uh, Allison, we get that too. It's very very visually there, whereas in the other ones, it's more in the characters. But with her, you do get that kind of uh, conniving sort of thing. Like when she's in the back of the car, she knows exactly how to play the doctor to get him to stop. She's resourceful. Yeah, he's like, we're going to go for the final reunion. And she just knows she's She's totally fucked. And so she's just like, I know what he said to me. Yeah, yeah, he he spoke to me. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, she still, she plays it. She she goes into that where it's just like, what are you saying? She's like, just one word. (laughs) If you want to know what it is, you've got to let me go. Yeah. And like, um. No, she's thinking on her toes, that one. Yeah. So uh, I particularly thought that that was a great little reversal. Mm -hmm. And um, another one that struck me early on as uh, a nice flip of the normative kind of thing is when the dad and the kid come across the bus. They're talking about going hunting. And the kid just says, like, I'm missing dance for this. And then when the dad's like, rather than just do the easy route of blasting some homophobia or veiled misogyny. Yeah, my son son, is doing this, dancing. um, He doesn't get it, but... He clearly cares for his son anyway, and just like they're just like yeah, he's 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 very like he's, he's questioning, yeah. yeah but, he's like, oh, that that's but that's it's really like wow, you're really right into now, huh? this, like um, and, and the kid straight back, he he cops it, like he's just like yeah, this is what I'm into right now. He's like, I'll still go hunting with you on the weekend. So this nice contrast of hunting and dance, yeah, so these yeah, um, two like very very extreme yeah. in their sort of stereotypical sense, mm-hmm. um, but like it the joke wasn't that he likes to dance yeah, so much as how it defi- defies the um, expectations mm-hmm. of the father and the scene, like the audience yes. expectations of the scene. Like, yeah, I guess the joke is that he wants to go dance rather than go hunting, but not because But the joke's he's... not on him. Yeah, exactly, yeah, And yes. it's not, like, yeah, the fact that he likes likes it, it's not, the joke's not on his character or what that says yeah. about him. No, it's the just... joke's on the situation yeah. and the disrupted expectations. Exactly, and, uh, and that's I what makes that it was so, so funny. So funny and so smart. 
Yeah. So um, those are a couple little moments in there. If there's anything else you guys picked up on, uh, maybe tweet at us. Yeah, let about us know if you because, haven't. Uh, if you couldn't tell, we are we love picking apart this movie because yeah. it's just so good. It has so many layers. So yeah, if if you have anything else, please we will l- listen to it. Yeah, excitedly. gladly. Well, we hope you enjoyed our discussion of the new Halloween dissection. Um, dissection <laughs> completely. Our full autopsy. Um, like I said, we're still new to this podcasting thing, and our plan is to sort of read the room a bit. So, uh, you know, let us know what what you think. If we're the just, if it's not interesting, or if it's super interesting, like what works, what doesn't. I'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you can't stand listening to us and had to like shut it off, or yeah. skip something. Like we want feedback. <laughs> yeah, if the feedbacks eat a butt. Then you know, I know it's like okay, well, it's like okay, word it a little more constructively, please, so yeah. we can improve. But. <laughs> Yeah. That's valid. We, okay. Thank eat a you. butt is a valid Thank critique. you for taking the time to tell us to eat a butt. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so going forward, uh, I really look forward to having these in-depth talks about specific movies and relating to theory. But uh, I think we're not trying to tie ourselves down in a single mode mm-hmm. of expression yet. So we do plan to have some variety coming. If this wasn't exactly your bag... Uh, you know, we've got some more ideas that we're cooking up and going to throw out, but if you did like this, this is, uh, kind of who we are and how we <laughs> approach this sort of thing. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to add on Halloween or should we go to the recommendations? No, I think we probably go to the recommendations. I feel like I, I wrote out a list of things and I feel like I, we hit every point, so. Okay. Maybe we can go to recommendations. Sounds good. Did I recommend first last time? Yes, you did. Okay, so if you want to be the first recommendation and tell us what you're recommending. And why. And why. And uh, viewers at home, if you have access to these movies or can, uh, give them a watch if you haven't seen them. Maybe give them a rewatch if you have, because that's what we're going to be doing. And we will let you know what we thought at the beginning of the next episode. Yeah, we'll talk about it a bit next time. I guess we'll be uh, letting you know what we thought two times, because we've got two episodes worth to... uh, (laughs) A lot of good Halloween watching. Oh, yeah. Um, I think for this one, because I was trying to think, um, just since my love of this movie was informed so much about how it represents and handles the idea of trauma and living with it and everything, I wanted to try and think of another sort of horror genre type movie that also dealt deals with that. And so one of the ones that I came up with is one of my favorites, um, American Mary. Oh, classic. Yes. I, we, if you're at all familiar with our the film stuff we've dabbled in, our very first thing that we made what, together was uh, a Sweden version of American Mary. So Yes, as part of the uh, Saska the, Sisters. Yeah, the Twisted Twins. They did a twins. contest for the fourth anniversary. Yeah, a couple of years back. So and, we had to remake it, make it without a budget from memory. Yeah, and it was... So that the movie is very near and dear to our hearts. Absolutely. But... Um, yeah, I think I think it it also again has that sort of like twist on a lot of I won't go into detail, but a lot of um, maybe expectations that are already that are informed by the genre leading up to to it, and they they, they mess with that and they do it, they take it they they handle it very differently, which I I think is awesome part of what I love about it. So yeah, that's my recommendation this week. <laughs> okay, well I love this movie, and if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's timely, too, with uh, Jed and Sylvia Saska working on the Rabbit remake. For I some... am so excited for that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's probably a good time to go back and look at some of the other things they've done because, well, hell, I love their other work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I've seen is... See No Evil 2 is 
fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's, yeah. Oh, it's wild. See, the See No Evil movies are way better oh, than they have any business being. They are very underrated. They but are we will have an episode fun. about underrated modern yes, classics, too. Absolutely. Um, yeah, let's get on to your yeah, recommendation. My recommendation in typical me fashion is going to be Italian Halloween, also known as Absurd. Also known as Monster Hunter. Also known as Horrible. Also known as Anthropophagus 2. Amo gli italiani. Yeah, very <laughs> Italian with that. Um, Rosso Sangue is one of the titles, so Red Blood. Yep. Um, this is a movie that it was... So, sorry, the, the, it's maybe just to reiterate, Absurd is the title you're most likely Absurd to find it under? Absurd is the title that was recently released here okay. by Severn Films in a really great okay. restoration that's definitely worth looking at. Um, it was also released as Absurd uh, by 88 Films in the UK. Okay. And uh, another thing that I love about this movie, it's uh, a video nasty, which I have. Oh, we yes. will be talking video nasties extensively in on depth. this pod as I am obsessed. Yes. Growing <laughs> up in England on the tail end of that, I am obsessed. Of that, yeah. That um, moral panic. The moral panic, yeah. <laughs> but so absurd is much like Halloween. It's Halloween. It's Italian Halloween. It's an Italian ripoff of Halloween. It's Halloween, but fucked up. In the way only Italians can. And and speaking as as an Italian, yes. 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 This it's is fine uh, that Lori is saying this. Yes. <laughs> it's not racist because she has an Italian friend. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, it's wild. And the only thing I'll say ahead of time is... Uh, actually, you know what? I won't even say that. Just watch it. It's absurd. It lives up to its title. Yeah, sounds it's, like it. I'm excited to see it. Yeah. It'll sounds be like good a wild fun. ride. Okay, so those are our recommendations for the week, American, Mary, and Absurd. Uh, we hope you liked and enjoyed the podcast. Um, since we have yet to actually upload anything, we're assuming that this will be available on iTunes, and we're looking at other platforms at the time being. Mm -hmm. uh, we are going to keep working at it, and we will try and keep the lines of communication open so people can find this delicious slice of sleaze wherever they go. Mm. <laughs> okay. And yeah, we'd love to hear anything, you know, your thoughts on the new Halloween, on how it fits into the, the whole franchise. And, and you everything. don't have to deconstruct it either. You, if you don't. just want to tweet it as wanted... saying this movie was fucking cool. Or that it sucked ass. Like, yeah. fine. Like, talk well, to us. <laughs> you're, you're wrong, but yeah, yes, but we'll, talk we'll, we'll, we'll to listen us. to we you as listen. long as you have a reason. As you can back up your argument, we're willing to listen to it. Yeah. Even if it's wrong. It's, yeah, there, it's not so great with the non constructive criticism where it's like, it just sucks. But at the same token, you know, maybe give us a little more than it rules. Like, yeah. that's great. It's yeah. like, yeah, po positive like attitude it? is good. But it's like, it rules because... Mm -hmm. I mean, I agree. It just it just fucking rules. You guys but... have 280 characters now. Yeah. There's no excuse. Use them. Yeah. <laughs> we will too, we promise. All right. Well, this has been fun. Mm-hmm. You're going gonna to say, say the... the... Oh, is, is that the line now? I For now it is. Okay. Well, everyone out there, take it... No. What is it? Keep... Take it easy. Take it easy and keep it sleazy. I you fucking wrote it and I can't even got remember. It. All right. Ciao. Ciao.